Welcome to the Lighter Church Podcast, lighting the people to light the world through the knowledge of Christ. Visit www.tlc.net.ng and share the gospel of Christ today. We are proud of you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Hallelujah. I'd like to encourage us this morning to be very conscious of the promise of God for us this year. For it's working. It's already working. The promise of the year is that this year, 2019, is the year that he will do what? Reveal his glory in our lives. Is his glory revealed? I want you to be very conscious of that. As you do your normal things in life, wake up, carry on your activities, look at issues of life. Just know that God has promised and he will do it and nothing can stop him for he is faithful to his word and to his promise. It doesn't matter who is the president of the country. It doesn't matter who is the governor of your state. It doesn't matter who is the governor of Lagos State. It doesn't matter the political or the social or the economic or the security situation in the country. It doesn't matter what is going on or what will not go on. All things that are happening are already working together for your good. They are working together to see that happen in your life. So let your heart never be troubled. Let your heart never be worried. Don't defend any politician passionately because they don't know you. They don't know where you live. They don't know your name. You are the one that knows their name. Why are you crying and passionately defending them? There's no one that is better. It's only God that can do things in the life of people. If you bring a newborn child now and make him the president of Nigeria, a very innocent child, and give him all the powers to be a president, he wouldn't do anything without God. Praise the Lord. At times I, I see friends and we talk. At times I go to offices. At times they come to my office. At times we do phone call. Once politics starts, I will look at my time. Five minutes after, oh boy, we need to do something else or say something else. I say, no, 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 this country, I say, fine. This country has always been like that and it will get better sometime. Praise the Lord. And now it's going to get better anyhow. It doesn't matter who is the president. Praise the Lord. And one thing I know I'm convinced is going to get better for you and for me and for us. In the name of Jesus. I just want us to know that nobody is worth spending your time and saliva defending. It's just a waste of time and effort and energy. Talkless of hating your friends and your brothers because of their political divide. That is the worst you can do for yourself because those your friends are your asset for tomorrow. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what divide. In fact, you know, it's so funny that the way they cross carpet, the way very soon they are going to drift again. You know, I mean, it's, it's so terrible. They're already drifting. They are already watched. They are drifting already. You know, 
My people has a proverb that where the fire is burning, that's where kids put their hands. You know, during Hamatan, you have these burning things in the compound. That is how we warm ourselves. Okay, so when there's Hamatan and uh, you have this, um, you know, fire, and everybody gather around the fire to tell stories and to do moonlight things and all that, then when the fire is, you know, glowing somewhere, that is where everybody stretch their hands towards. And they will abandon where they had stretched their hands before because there's no fire anymore. Everybody is looking for their bread and their butter. All those politicians you see from A to Z, APC, BBP, wah, 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 they are all looking for their own pocket and their children's pocket. They don't care about you. They don't care a hoot about you. Just wait till they settle down in power. It doesn't matter what political party and try to get to talk to them. But when they were campaigning, they come and eat with you, dine with you, and distribute rice, and everybody is struggling to get rice. They don't eat that rice that they give to you. Praise the Lord. They don't eat that type that they gave to you. And where did they get the money from? Is it from their pocket? The one they stole. All of them steal. APC, PDP, CPP, DDD, AAA. All of them are thieves. <laughs> All of them are as corrupt as ever. There's no integrity anywhere. So please know yourself. Trust your God. Don't waste your time on people. Love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hate somebody else because of his political divide. You are making the greatest mistake and you're offending God. Love every tribe, every race. It doesn't matter whether they are Muslims or Christian. Love everybody equally. For the one that is a Muslim today can become a Christian tomorrow. And without love, you can win them over. Stop running down your neighbors and stop running down people. Nobody is better than the other. It's just the grace of God that is working in us. And no tribe is superior to another tribe, whether white or black or yellow or green. We are all superior because God has made us equally superior. As many as are children of God, we are the head, all of us, and not the tail. So let us love ourselves and let us love God and let us trust God that whatever is going on is going to work together for our good. Let's put our hands together for the Lord. Hallelujah. We are continuing with um, our answers to your questions today as um, we couldn't do so much last Sunday because we spent some time on the intro. But today we try to handle as many questions as possible. God helping us. And still, I will not give an answer of yes and no, just like that. I will also go beyond straight answers to do a little exposition for clarity as it might be necessary. So again, you must remember that my answers are based on what I, as your pastor, believes, and by extension, what our church believes. 
And so you must understand it as such. It's not a guesswork. It's something that comes out of the inspiration we got from God and we are just letting you know, just like we share our visions all the time, every year. And for you as a person to really fit and draw virtues from the grace of God in this ministry, you must therefore align yourself to agree with what we believe and with what we practice here. For two cannot work together except they so if you want us to work together, you should try to agree with me to a very large extent. It's not as if you wouldn't have your mind, but try not to allow that your mind to veer off too much. Otherwise, we'll be arguing in the spirit, you know, and it won't bring virtue to anybody. But if your disagreement over our important stand is very sharp, and your own stand is very strong in you and you are not convinced with our belief then you can take another step to seek personal audience with me for further clarification if need be or I might refer you to another minister so that you can have as much time as possible for such kind of clarification and if you are still not convinced then for the purpose of your blessing you may need to locate the church that fits well what you believe so that you can flow well and be blessed. Praise the Lord. Like somebody come and said in this church men shake hands with women in the church that I know it's a sin and I said I don't see the sin in that it's just a method of greeting and um, it is only when it extends beyond just handshake that you can now begin to talk about sin but everything is based on intention of people so we cannot keep a law and say no man shakes a woman in this church and if you are coming from a church where they say no man shakes a woman and you are not comfortable that we shake ourselves here for example then we, we are not quarreling you can go to where nobody shakes anybody not even men because men like men these days <laughs> it might get to a time where you now begin to say men shouldn't shake men because if you shake man that means you are liking the man and somebody said in this church women don't usually cover their hair and I said, you are very free to cover your hair. That's wonderful. That is beautiful. That's adorable. Wear your heart and be fine with it. Because that is also expected. That is a very good thing. It's part of dressing. But if you don't, let nobody tell you that you are going to go to hell or you are not in the, in the right side of God or there is something wrong with the church. No, there is absolutely not, not anything wrong with the church. It's just a question of choice and we leave that choice open because it's not part of our very fundamental issues that borders on our Christian faith and our Christian doctrine. It's really neither here nor there. If you do it, that's beautiful. If you don't do it, that's still beautiful. 
It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with your going to eternity. It has nothing to do with your receiving from God. And if you check your Bible very well, those things came from the law which we are avoiding. And of course, it now entered into the church, especially the church in Corinth, and um, where they now found themselves to be doing things much more than they should do. And they begin to talk about, but again, in the conclusion of it, which have also discovered that the hair covering is not actually what we should put our focus on because a woman's hair is also his covering. But again, that's an argument for another day for some people. What I'm saying in effect is that we could be a little bit liberal with certain things, but that doesn't mean that we are encouraging sin or unrighteousness. And somebody says in this church, women wear trousers. I don't know where it was said that trouser is actually for women, I mean for men, because there are also some culture that has trousers for men and men, I mean for women and men wear skirts. Okay, so I don't know how we can jump it. And if you talk to my culture, I don't know what trouser is not in my native dress nothing is my native dress is um aqua you know you just tie it that's my that's where i'm coming from so the trouser is an introduction of something from the west and we're all using it and they never told me it's for men or for women because in the west where they introduce it men wears it and women wears it so where do they get it from how did they see it in the bible <laughs> All right, so anybody can say anything and they're comfortable to say whatever they want to say, but then we need to be convinced that what they're saying is not just religion, but is fundamental to our Christian faith. And they begin to measure and say, if you sew a dress, make sure it doesn't exceed here. If it goes here, it's a sin. Some people say, no, here can be manageable. Don't allow it to go beyond your, um, your you know, ankle. And they say, no, some people say, no, ankle is fine. You can manage ankle, but, you know, don't say again, elbow, for right, correct. Then, you know, I said, no, you can manage, you can extend it, but let it not go very close to your shoulder. And somebody said, well, you can go to your shoulder, it doesn't matter. Whether you are saying here or saying here or saying here, it's your own idea. It has nothing to do with the Bible, and it's not specifically stated in the Bible. Praise the Lord. Cover your neck up to this as a woman, or you stand it a little bit, or you move it a little bit down, or something. It's not stated in the Bible. All the Bible talks about is moderation. And we can also define moderation and see when something is going out of hand. You call your brother, you call your sister, and say, Look, this thing is getting out of hand. We also address situations like this in the church. So you can now dress to moderation just as a guide. So. What we are doing is how we are convinced and how we believe and what we think works for us. And so, we are going to go straight to the questions. There are a whole lot of them and uh, I will take them one after the other without any format, without any order, without, um, you know, it's just the way it comes Then you know, or the way I put it down here, then we can address them. The first one that I have here is, is it good to speak in tongues? Somebody asked. How do you know you are speaking rightly? 
another person asked, is speaking in tongues received or impacted? Let me ask this question. Do you know what is speaking? Is there anyone that doesn't know what is speaking in tongues here? If you don't know what is speaking in tongues, you don't know what somebody is saying are speaking in tongues. Okay, we all understand what speaking in tongues is. I'm not hearing you. You are not interacting with me. Okay. Alright, so let me not bother with that. Now straight to the answer. Is it good to speak in tongues? Yes. It is good and it is necessary. And I want to lay the foundation for the genesis of speaking in tongues. When Jesus Christ was about to go on Mount Olive as he was descending, the angel appeared to the people and said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's Act 1.8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Then in Acts chapter 2 the people now receive the Holy Ghost as evidence in speaking in tongues. As evidence in speaking in tongues. They receive the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 4 said, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they began to speak from that day. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the foundation of speaking in tongues. And so, after this baptism of the Holy Spirit and Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit and he went preaching, and was talking to the people about salvation and in Acts 2.28 he said to the people repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost meaning that apart from those that receive the gift 120 of them others should also receive the gift after their sins has been forgiven and they shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is to say that it's not in contention that every believer must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then further to that, in Acts 19, verse 1 to 7, I will read this. Acts 19, 1 to 7. Apostle Paul got to the church in Ephesus and they asked them have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe and they said no we have not as had anything about the Holy Ghost and said well how are you baptized they said John's baptism and I said no you need the Holy Ghost simply meaning that they actually need the Holy Ghost after they are converted and born again just like Peter said to them in Acts 2 and now in this case Apostle Paul now lay hands on them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in tongues. 
Also meaning that having the gift of the Holy Spirit manifest by speaking in tongues. So the answer is yes, you are meant to speak in tongues as a believer because an example that has been set for us. All right, Pastor Amos can read that scripture at 19, verse 1 to verse number 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghosts. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then Paul then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12 praise the Lord after that encounter what happened they spoke in tongues they spoke in tongues and they began to prophesy so that is not the first speaking in tongues that happened in the Bible that is the continuation of the spread of the gospel so speaking in tongues is for every believer so if you are not speaking in tongues, you need to go to a Holy Ghost baptism class. Then you are told so much about it. Then of course, you can be lay hands on like Paul did to the church in Ephesus or the Ephesian church. Then you now begin to enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit as evidence in speaking in tongues. So the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us and we shall receive him as gift. He is our helper. He is our teacher. He helps us to pray. He's also our comforter. He's the source of our power. He's our straightener. He's our director. He's our pathfinder. The speaking in tongues to an average Christian today is more for prayer. You need to study that on your own for further understanding. It's more for our prayer. Now the next question is, how do you know you are speaking rightly? It's very simple. Acts 2.4 says that as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, anyhow you begin to speak when you receive the Holy Spirit, you should believe that you are speaking rightly as you are being given the utterance. Once you are ministered the Holy Spirit too, and you find yourself speaking something, you just must believe and have it at the back of your mind that you are speaking rightly because it's assumed that that is how the Holy Ghost gave you utterance. There's no miracle about it. There's no sensation about it. It's just receiving it as simple as it is. There is no way to assess how you have received or, or what quantity you have received or how well you received than from your own spirit that is convinced that you have received. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, 
The Bible says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mystery. So no man understands what you are saying, and even you don't understand what you are saying. So there is no how you can now say, um, Am I speaking well? You don't know how you speak well. It's not your language. It's not a language that is known. The Bible says you are speaking mysteries and nobody really understands mysteries. So you really can't understand what you speak per se. So just believe. And that settles it. The next question is, is speaking in tongues received or imparted? Both. In Acts chapter 2, they received the Holy Ghost without anybody laying hands on them. The Holy Ghost came upon them and that can still happen because of ministration and the cost of exposition of the Holy Spirit to the people. Somebody can just burst out speaking in tongues. The person can receive the Holy Spirit as it was done in the days of old without impartation. Then the other yes again is that in Acts 19, when Paul came ministering to the church in Ephesus, they did not receive the Holy Ghost till he laid hand or he laid hand on them. The Holy Ghost was received by these people by the laying hands of Paul, which can be seen as impartation. So you can receive the Holy Ghost directly or can receive the Holy Ghost by impartation. If we are going to have a teaching on the Holy Spirit for those that have not received, we are likely going to impart on you, lay hands on you like Paul did, if you are not already receiving when the ministration is going on. I believe you have the answer to your question. I don't know who asked the question, but I believe you have enough answer. Hallelujah. Amen. Or you want to ask something regarding that? Is there anything you're confused about that? Okay, if no, can a pastor approve divorce between Christians? That is the next question. Can a pastor approve divorce between Christians? Let me start by laying a foundation about this word divorce and how it is in the Bible. Before we talk about whether pastor can or can't. Let me start by saying that God does not like divorce. He does not want marriage couple to divorce just like God does not want Christians to commit any act of unrighteousness or to sin. There is no debate about this that God does not like divorce. But as long as we're in this world, Christian marriages still go through challenges that sometimes eventually end up in divorce. And that still remains the reality of today. God doesn't like it, but it does happen. Of course, for me as a person, I don't believe that Christians should divorce. And so I don't pray for Christians to get involved with divorce. But we must understand that divorce happened with two adults, two adult Christians who got into marriage and decided for whatever reasons to go their separate ways. And so those two couples are actually answerable to their decision 
to God. Again, I don't believe that two believers that wants to get married or again wants to get married we have it at the back of their mind that someday they were going to get divorced. We don't teach it. We don't believe in it. So you can't have it at the back of your mind. It is go and never get divorced. So no couple prepares for it. It is only when the couple start living that they are now met with situations in their lives that might inform that I might inform what they did. Justifiable or not is up to the people and their God. So that's my background. But then, can a pastor approve divorce? No. No. As in no. You don't have the power to approve divorce. A couple comes to you as a pastor and say, we are tired of this marriage. Why? A, B, C, A, B, C and you are not convinced that there's something wrong, and you now said, I approve your divorce, it is absolutely very wrong. A pastor should not ever step out to encourage divorce or approve divorce, even in the case of adultery, as Jesus gave it as a condition. Even in that extreme case, as it were, because the very, very major duty of a pastor is reconciliation. But when it happens and the couple decide that they can't be reconciled for the reasons best known to them, no pastor can force it on them and no pastor can approve that they should divorce. You leave them to themselves and to their God. So the answer is no. Another question. Can a pastor approve divorce? I think that's what I answered. The answer is no. It is not in a pastor to approve. Praise the Lord. It is not in a pastor to do what? To approve. Hallelujah. But what the couple see or what the couple saw that made it to say that, look, I know what God likes. I know what God does not like. But this situation I am in now is rather better I incur the wrath of God if that is the case than for me to be in this situation is for that adult to take that decision and it's for that adult who supposedly is born again to now relate with his or her God on the decision that he or she has taken. The neutral after you have convinced them never to do that because you stand on the position that God doesn't like it. But then you leave it for the couple. Praise the Lord. How do you hear God? The next question. Is it what you feed your mind with? Or is it one's positive thinking? Then the next question is, do God speak to pastors? Hallelujah. My answer. God has and God still speaks to people till today. That is on general terms. As a child of God, God can speak to you. From what I know, God don't speak to everybody the same way. God speaks to different people in different ways. 
For all I know, God don't speak to anybody every day. It's not so likely that every day God will be speaking to you. It depends on what God wants to say and how God wants to say it. But the truth is that God still speaks to people. How do I know? Because he speaks to me. I know he speaks to my wife. And I know he speaks to my children. And I know he speaks to some of you here that tells me about what you heard from God or what God said to you. I ran it through my spirit and I could be able to affirm or attest to that, that you actually had God. And God speaks to people that you as a person don't hear from God or don't hear God for yourself should not mean that God does not speak to people. And that should not make you doubt when somebody says, God spoke to me. Or that some people take God speaking to them as a fluke. Or take it like deceit. Or fake the fact that God you know, speaks to them does not mean that God does not speak to others. When you have counterfeit, means there should be some original somewhere. Because I also know that people fake it and say, God spoke to me, but God didn't speak to them in anything. But God speaks, and that's the answer to the question. God actually speaks to people through all forms and manners, like in dreams. God speaks to people. God speaks in trances. All of a sudden, your mind will just veered off and God will be talking to you about something. It's not like a deep sleep of dream. God speaks by inspiration as you study the word and something will flash in your mind and you are actually hearing God from what you are reading. God speaks by impressing things in the heart of people. And you know that this impression is not me. It's not my mindset. It must be God talking to me. So you need to develop yourself to know how God speaks to you. To me as a person, even before I became a pastor, God speaks to me. And it's actually true the fact that God speaks to me that I know he has told me or he told me to be a pastor. He spoke several times. Even when I said I don't want to be, he kept speaking and he kept threatening me and he's tried to bring good to what he has threatened me. And I know God was speaking to me. So before I became a pastor, God has always spoken to me. Not only to myself, but concerning others. In my own experience, God does not often speak audibly. But yes, he does speak audibly once in a while. But I know when God speaks, or even speaks to my heart. It is his speaking that gave me conviction to take up the mantle to be a pastor. Now for pastors who ministers to congregation, I want us to take this scripture in Amos 3.7 which says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing but reveal it 
his secret unto his servants, the prophet. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealed his secret unto his servant, the prophet. Meaning that if you have responsibility of people, you need to prophesy to people. God will reveal his heart to you so you can give it to the people as the word of God for them. And so he doesn't do anything without revealing it to his people so that, I mean to his servants, so that they can give it to his people. God has been speaking or revealing his will to his pastors, his prophets, his servants. And as he speaks, the pastor speaks to the congregation likewise. So for a pastor, because of God's people, there is a possibility that God speaks more to them and God has always spoken to his people, even in the time of Old Testament, through his prophets and through his people. If God does not speak, then how do you minister to God's people? How do you say to them, thus say the Lord? The word of God is good enough, but the word of God is also God speaking to his people. And when there are deep revelations about that, it goes more beyond just reading the word. It goes even to the extent of being impressed upon your heart that God is using this message to speak to your, I mean, to his people. So God speaks. And when God speaks and the pastor does not hear, or when God does not speak to a pastor, then there is a problem. Because the standard is that God must always speak to his pastor and his servants. Now this is the key to receiving from a pastor's declaration. Whether the pastor heard audibly from God, or through dream, or through trances, or through meditation, or through an impression into his heart. This is the mystery of how you receive from the servant of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. I'd like us to read it out. First Thessalonians chapter number 2 verse number 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effect, effectually worketh also in you that believe. I want to spend some few seconds here. Apostle Paul was talking to the church in Thessalonica. He said, for this cause also, we thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, who spoke the word? The disciples, which you heard of us. That means they are saying, God said that we should tell you. So you heard the word not directly from God. You heard the word from us. And he said, you receive it not as the word of men. You did not say Apostle Paul said or Peter said or, or James said or John said. You receive it as a God spoke to us. You did not receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. 
Then he now said, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Meaning that the evidence that you have received the word of God that he spoke to us, and you receive it when we spoke to you as the word of God, the evidence is that it began to work effectually in you because you believed that the word that we spoke to you are actually the word of God and not the word of men. That is the secret. This brings us to Second Chronicles 2020, which declares, Believe in the Lord your God, and so shall you be established. Believe his prophet, so shall you prosper. When you believe that the word that the pastor declares is the word of God, it will work for you, just like it worked for the church in Thessalonica. Once you believe that the word that I, as a pastor, declare to you and say, God said to me to say to you, it doesn't matter how I received it, whether in dream or in trance, or strong impression or by meditation, once you receive it as the word of God and you believe it, it will work for you. But if you see it as my feeling or my state of mind, and you did not believe that God said to me to say to you that word, it will not work for you. And there is nothing anybody can do about it. It's all about your belief. So when I'm declaring, somebody's out there saying, God, Pastor, just say what you love to say. It will not work for you. But when I'm declaring, somebody said, God just spoke to me through the pastor. I receive it. I believe it. Yes, God has spoken. It will work for you. And that's exactly what this scripture made us understand. If you study the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was always pointing out to those that received miracle from him and saying, you have faith, you have faith, you have faith has made it possible for you. That means because you believe, you received. And your faith has made it possible for you to receive. So people receive through their faith. Believe in the Lord, you are God, and so shall you be established. And believe in his prophet, so shall you prosper. You are believing his prophet because you believe that the prophet heard from God and is declaring, and you are believing his prophet, and so you will prosper. But if you don't believe in his prophet, that thing he declared will not prosper you. And it's as simple as that. The Bible recorded that when Jesus went to his village, where he was born, Nazareth, to go and preach. He could not do mighty works because of their unbelief. He carried the same grace that raised the dead, that gave sight to the blind, that made the crippled to walk and the deaf to hear. He carried the same grace to his village. But as long as they were saying, how can this boy, Jesus, said God is working with him? God did not work with him, nothing. Is he not Mary's son? When did God start working with him? Is he not this one we are playing with and playing ball together? When did he start becoming a child of God? The Bible said they commonized the grace of God upon his life and so they couldn't receive. So he carried his grace and came back to people that don't even know much about him and they were receiving and the people as they receive, he said you receive through your faith. Because the mystery of receiving in the kingdom is through the faith of the believer. 
So, if you say that the word we declare is the way the pastor feels or the imagination of pastor, so will it be in your life. But if you say, God spoke to my pastor and I receive it for myself, so will it be in your life. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody that has something to ask here before I proceed to the next question? Nobody. Okay, somebody. Okay. Make it as snappy as you can. Um, I actually wrote something down um, as a follow-up to the question and the answer you gave. Um, if a pastor can approve divorce for two believers, um, I just want to appreciate... Sorry, next time, when I ask questions, let's deal with the immediate question. Well, you are taking us back, but I will entertain it. Please, if I have gone beyond the question and the answer, then you can note it for another day. I don't want us to spend time going back and forth, but go ahead, that's fine for now. Okay, let me um, I'm asking, um, can a pastor also categorically disapprove the proposed union of two believers based on certain convictions, spiritual reasons, or all that? You know, one thing that must be very clear here is that a pastor is a pastor and a man, and he is not God. No pastor is actually God. As much as we are representative of God, we must not play God in the life of people. Also, having said that, when a couple come to a pastor or come to me and um, say they want to get married, I look at this, I look at that, and I ask a whole lot of fundamental questions. Of course, we take them through our marriage committee and they will come back with reports to me. But when I interview them, one of the questions I always ask is, have you prayed concerning this marriage? What did God say? If they tells me that they have not prayed, I say, please, let us not push it. Don't be in a hurry. Go and pray about it so that we can hear from God. I will also be praying. What I will only tell you will be a convention that you have already, and that's the way it is. The Spirit of God bears with us with our spirit that we are the sons of God. As long as they are born again and spirit-filled. But if I am interviewing them and they said, ah, pastor, I have prayed and God has showed me. And I said, sister, what about you? Ah, I prayed and I'm convinced. At that point in time, I am not the Holy Spirit. If you pray, be it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, I, can't, I can't stop. Again, as pastor also, we must also be very sensitive. If somebody really prayed, as they said they prayed, and you have a different conviction, because at times pastors can be carnal. I say, is this why you want... This kind of person you want to marry, and God it doesn't. I want to be carnal. I do not say what God did not say. You have a problem with God. And if God has spoken to these people and you say, I'm a pastor, I can overrule, you have a problem with God. And if God did not speak to them and they say God has spoken to them, they are the ones that have problem with God and not you. You can jolly well said, 
I didn't have a leading. I, am, I have my reservation about this. And I said, Pastor, please don't have any reservation. We have prayed about it. As a matter of fact, my reservation has stopped some people from actually getting married. And they thank God that that reservation showed up because they now discovered the person they were going to get married. And we never stopped to give my mind. And I've also explained reservation to people and they didn't take my reservation and they went ahead to go ahead to marry and they have also seen the effect of what, and they said, Pastor had actually said it. But now I don't know what to do because it would have been too late. But for you to stop the marriage, unless God categorically tells me and says, stop this thing, tell them, stop this thing and give them some 30 days fasting or 21 and let it, but I will still want to hear from them that they have heard from God or whosoever among them before I can give my release. As if you had so, then of course there's no road here. But I cannot on my own say don't because I had just on my own. Praise the Lord. Brother Charles, is that, does it go somewhere? Okay, very good. Thank you very much. The next question is, uh, can one forgive and forget? Can one forgive and let go of that person? I know a lot of you are dealing with this. Serious, unforgiving spirit. You are dealing, you know this. Say, God, let no pastor say that we can, we can forgive and forget. <laughs> well, I will say it the way God has put it because every human being has to deal with it because there are people that, oh God, Help me as a person. If I have my way, I will never forgive some. I, if I have my way, if it's not in the Bible, I will never forgive some people. It, you know how it is. Forgive this man, but I don't have the power. It's a very serious. It's a trial of our faith as Christians. Because the condition that is attached to not forgiving is a serious one. Mark 11, 25 and 26. Can we read, please? Mark eleven twenty five, And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. 26. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Praise the Lord. One thing is standard, we trespass every day. In one way or the other. You know, we are talking about which one is more difficult. Is it the grace of the law? We offend God even at times the way you look at your brother, the way you look at your sister in church, the way you talk about your brother, the way you do things. <laughs> you have transgressed. You know, there's transgression, there is sin. There is iniquity. All those things have their gradients. But we transgress all the time. The Bible did not say any other thing but transgression. Meaning that if you refuse to forgive somebody whatsoever the person did against you, you have actually said, God, when I transgress, don't forgive me. That's exactly what you have said. If I miss it, don't you ever forgive me. I have tied my forgiveness destiny to this particular person. It's like whatever you want to do, do to me because I will not forgive this person. And God said, I've had you. 
I have done what? I have had you. So don't forgive him and I will never forgive you. He said, yes, deal. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So must we forgive? Yes, you must forgive. No matter what somebody did to you. But is it possible to forget? Forgetting is not possible. You can still remember what somebody did, but don't allow that that you remember affect the forgiving that you have already given before. Because at times you remember and you not get bitter. I said, this you just see the person in the bus stop. You are you are whole head with thorn. I know that means you are canceling the forgiveness you have given. So. Will you remember? You can remember. If you see the person in bus stop, don't turn your head. Say, Brother Han, now God bless you. Are you going to walk? He said, yes, I'm going to walk. God bless you. Then you go. I said, God, this one, I shouldn't have said it if not because of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Forgetting, there's no how you can forget because it will always be in your mind, but don't allow your remembering be a hindrance to you. Affect the forgiving that you have given. But if you truly forgive, even when you remember, you will not be bitter. You can forgive and let go of the person in your heart and in your mind. But there's something I always add to myself which I need to express to you. If somebody has hurt me very badly and I have also painstakingly forgiven the person because God expects me to forgive, I don't get so close to the person why? Because I want to avoid him doing what he did to me that will put me in that terrible situation. So, I just clearly avoid the person because he could still repeat it. And it becomes another serious trial of my faith. So if I know that somebody has a tendency of always offending me or always offending me and making, giving me a problem, I just love him from a distance. And that is not a sin. Jesus became friends to three disciples strongest that he now extended it to to twelve that he now extended it to as many as possible Jesus chose Peter and Peter became the foremost disciple according to what the Bible says but Jesus chose John as his closest friend. He will put his head on John's lap and they will Jesus and relax. He never did it with other people. So among the twelve, he has one special friend, John. He has three special friends, uh, Peter, James, and John. Then, of course, he had the rest. I can choose my friends, people that I'm close with, I can always talk with. But that does not mean that others are my enemies. So for you to avoid trouble, if you recognize somebody that is so cantankerous about you and hates you and hates your progress, they will always want to harm you. Love the person with the love of God from a distance. If you be going to his house, he might do worse what he did to you and it might, become, it might become too difficult at a particular point in time for you to forgive the person. So that is my ideology regarding that. Yes, you can forgive. God expects us to forgive. You can't really forget but don't allow you are not forgetting to affect you are forgiven. And further to that, my own, please know who you are close with so that they don't cause you to sin. Somebody asked, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Why? 
Why did God say that the heart of man is desperately wicked? When I saw the question, I said, because God said it. I don't know what you want me to say. Jeremiah 17, 9. That's where God said it. Can we read it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is the word of God. I didn't write the Bible. I am not, I don't know why God, but God knows that your heart and my heart as men can be deceitful and desperately what? Wicked. You know, you don't know how wicked your heart is. Anything triggered trigger the wickedness. Now you'll be so disappointed in yourself after all. <laughs> as in desperately wicked. As in very desperately wicked. But you see, when you are a child of God, you need to deal with that. Separate your old self and put in the new man. And there are things that are virtues that should come out of you. And one of them must never be wickedness. So you must actually renew your heart and your mind according to your new birth. You know, God always used man to describe man and use something different to describe the regenerated man. The, the scripture says that they know not neither do they understand so they walk in darkness and the whole condition of the earth is out of course and the Bible began to talk about the man and said because they don't know they will die like men but you are not men you are the son of the most high God so there is a separation between men as in human being and the sons of God. But what makes you sons of God is the fact that God has redeemed you through the blood of his son Jesus and you have also decided to renew your mind and taking away the old things and putting in the new man that is full of forgiveness, full of love, full of power, full of sound mind, full of all the virtues that God has given to us to take and so we should not be wicked like men but the heart of men the Bible said is desperately wicked on the other side can you read for me Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, and 20, uh, verse 22 to 32 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 to 32 Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of a divine that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
let all bitterness and wrath and anger and glamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. You need to read this scripture often and again and again. That is the kind of person you're supposed to be as a child of God. Putting away those things that has made the heart of man to be desperately wicked. And putting on the new man and beginning to relate with men and human beings the way God related with you or is relating with you. So that you can be a changed person, a brand new person. We came from the background of wickedness, from the powers of darkness. But we came into the kingdom of righteousness. Came into the kingdom of love. We came into the kingdom of forgiveness. So we must be who we are in our new man, in the new kingdom that we have found ourselves. There are certain things you will do and somebody will say, ah, it's not like a Christian. Because there are certain things that should come out of you. Let no evil communication come out of your mouth. There's a question that we deal with that. But that's exactly what, um, how we're going to end this particular question. Is there a second chance to be forgiven after renouncing Jesus? Somebody asked, you are born again, you are forgiven, you're a candidate for heaven, but if you decide to renounce Jesus, do you have a second chance of being forgiven? That's the question. Renouncing means we are saying that Jesus is no more your Lord and your Savior. He said, I don't care about Jesus now. He's no more my Lord and my Savior. I have another God that I will serve. Jesus, I don't believe in you anymore. I don't want to serve you anymore. That is what renouncing in itself means. And the person actually also cleverly put the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 to 6 as his text scripture. And I want us to read it because it's also very self-explanatory. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 to 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Ghosts and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Praise the Lord. The scripture is very clear, very unambiguous about it. The word said, it is impossible. 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 Now, I'd like to say, to summarize this, that once you are saved, you are forever saved unless you unsave yourself. Once you are saved, you are forever saved unless you, because you have the power to unsave yourself. And I need to explain. That unsave, I put it in parentheses. 
There is no additional sacrifice to our salvation. Not even the works of our righteousness can help our salvation or make it more potent. The issue of our salvation is simply the issue of exchange. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He that knew no sin became sin that sinners would become saints. He that knew no sin became sin that sinners will become saints. That is it. There's nothing to add. And once you accept Jesus as a Lord and personal Savior, you are a child of God. You are destined for heaven. Though you might fall, you will rise up again. You commit sin. You ask God to forgive you your sins. It will again clearly cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is enough, sufficiently enough for you to hold on till eternity. Once you are born again, you are born again forever. And your sin and unrighteous living will not cancel that. But can only affect your triumph in the kingdom and affect you to become and even ultimately affect the works that you do and how God is going to judge you when we get to heaven. But what gives you the condition to go into heaven is being born again. But then, having said these weighty things, when someone openly and consciously renounced Jesus as his Lord and personal Savior, there is no chance again for repentance unto salvation. Because as the Bible said, you cannot crucify the Lord the second time. And I know because I've heard and somebody has also even confessed to me that he has knelt down before idols being taken by occultic men because he needed to have money. And they told him that he needed to say to the idols loud and clear seven times that Jesus is no more his Lord and personal Savior. So he said it, they say, say it again. And I said, Jesus is no more his Lord and personal Savior. They say, say it again. So he denounced Jesus seven times and he came out of that place. And when he told me, I went to ask my pastor. I said, this is what happened. Pastor said, stay clear from that guy. There is no repentance again. No. As far as the Bible is concerned, he's going to hell, as in hell. But let us not push it. Let God decide by himself. But this is what the Bible says. And I said, what do I do? He said, still love him, but don't go and assure him that um, <laughs> because the Bible did not say so. He has crossed the line. He has done what? Crossed the line. So yes, your salvation is enough. But if for any reason you denounce Jesus, then there is nothing that can save you again. Hell according to what the Bible says. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tested of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tested the good word of God and the power of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Can imagine that man kneeling down before idols and saying to the idol, 
Jesus is no more his Lord and Savior. He just actually did what the Bible says in verse 6. Put Jesus in an open, open shame. After having done what Jesus has done for him. And lo and behold, that person was a pastor and he had a church. He had a congregation. That will tell you the extent. <laughs> he had a church, he had a congregation even bigger than this congregation before he did what he did because he needed money. So there is no chance. If that question is answered, fine. If it's not well answered, you can, okay, brother, sir. Did you do it? <laughs> so that we can be giving you backseat. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you can please just bring the microphone so that everybody can hear what um, he has to say. Praise the Lord. With regards to the question, your explanation is very clear and is unambiguous. But I am looking at, or rather, I will uh, like to be further enlightened as per a situation where one is at maybe something like at a gunpoint or something, and they said, is Jesus Christ your Lord? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, hallelujah. I don't know. You need to, you need to, when you get to heaven that you will know. I don't want to play God. I don't, I don't have an answer to that. And honestly, as in truth, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer because there is also the layers of this world that said, I am not going to denounce Jesus. And they said, we'll leave you here for years and eventually killed her. So if there could be a layer, a young girl that did that, and they're saying under the, I don't know. Maybe God will close his eyes because of God's shot. I won't answer that question because my prayer is that you will never find yourself in that situation and I will never find myself in that situation. But I don't have an answer to that. God bless you. Am I free not to have an answer to anything? We need to ask God about it. Hallelujah. Any, anyone else on this? Okay, um, Minister Emeka. Praise the Lord. Uh, Pastor, there's something that just crossed my mind as we're saying this, and I think we should throw a little uh, light on it. I've met some people that say that they are free thinkers. They don't believe in any God, in quotes. And that kind of a, a man, when you ask him this question, do you believe in Jesus? Of course, he's a free thinker. And um, sometimes I marvel. Um, can we say that they are in this category of people that have renounced Jesus? Because in this case now, it's another scenario playing out that to me, they are related. But I don't know if I'm right. That's why I need clarification on that. Okay. Um, you're not very right. As long as that person has never been born again, as long as that person had never, had never partake of the Holy Spirit and the gift of God and has never been in church, has never, you know, he is on one category, the unbeliever. Even 
some of us, before we got born again, we can argue about so many things. We can believe in so many things, but you are not born again at that time. Once you get born again, all your sins are wiped away, and God will have no memory of those sins. So the free thinker has not committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. He has not, he has not uh, denounced Jesus. He just that he say he doesn't believe. But one day, the unbelieving man will believe. And that will make the difference. But if he now, after believing, now goes to denounce, then that's a different case altogether. There's, there are two categories of people. Those that are for God and those that are not for God. Those that are born again and those that are not born again. The Bible describes them in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Those to the right and those to the left. Those to the left might be free thinkers, might be idol worshippers, might be people of all religions of this world that is not Christianity. Or people that have not given their... It doesn't matter what category they are. Some people worship Satan directly and call him Lucifer. Some people worship Satan and call him the devil. Some people worship Satan and call him demons. Some people worship all the names of the fallen angels differently. It doesn't make a difference. Some people say they don't believe in Jesus. They are all in one category. And there's another category to the right. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, that their names have been written in the Lamb Book of Life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Should a man with two wives before born again still be allowed to keep his wives? Somebody smiling. <laughs> in one capacity with the person served in church. Should a man with two wives, do we have people with two wives in this church? Do we have people with two wives? Okay, no. So it doesn't really concern us. So we are free to answer this question anyhow. <laughs> Should a man with two wives before born again still be allowed to keep his wives? <laughs> if I ask you that, there will be a lot of views, so I don't want to ask you. In what capacity can the person serve? Let's just take the scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 1 to 12. A pretty long reading. I think we're going to end here today. We still have so much. Oh my God. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, let's, let's read. 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 12. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must... Okay, start all over again from Kim Jin. Start all over again, sorry. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desired a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy locker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruled well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, 
lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy or filthy locker, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. And let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know whether you can pick anything from here. What I can pick is that for you to be an ordained minister, whether it's called an elder, whether it's called a bishop, whether it's called a deacon, as to function in the church, there is a condition that you must be a husband of one wife. What it means is that when this scripture was written, there are people that were converted to Christianity that had more than one wife. And they are saying they are still Christians. They are still members of the body of Christ. They will still come to the church with their wives, but you will not give them spiritual responsibilities. The Bible did not say did not say that they will not marry another wife, but they said that they must be a husband on one wife. And um, what this question asked was, if somebody had married two wives before he became a Christian, should the man with two wives before getting born against him be allowed to keep his wives? And in what capacity will he serve? The scripture from A to Z did not tell me that the man in the New Testament dispensation, even in the Old Testament dispensation, should put out their wives. My question has always been, we have always asked this question since I got born again. I started doing in part, even in my former church. We have always dealt with this question. My question is this. If a man committed a sin and through the sin maybe he stole money and he built a house and he's living in that house when he get born again will he destroy that house he, you know he stole the money he was an arm robber will he destroy that house eh As far as I'm concerned, all sins have been. There are, you know, you know, we are very good at looking at weighty things. If God searched your heart now, there are many things that you have done before you got born again that the Lord would have been chastising you and punishing you with. But the blood of Jesus has wiped those things away. So my question in this particular case is that: What did those women do? 
that will make that man now to go and drive them away. Or drive one away and leave the other. Because one is the first wife or one is the true wife. The other one is... That second wife was a, a wife of sin. Even the West first wife was married in sin. They are both wives of sin. As far as I'm concerned. The principle of God was not followed when he married the first wife and the principle of God was actually followed, not followed when he married the second wife. And the Bible made us understand that they had them in church there when they were born again. But he said, for you to ordain these ministers, make sure that you search and be sure that not one is sitting with two wives. Once that one is okay, you look at other criteria, then you do your ordination. It simply means that there are men that has more than one wife and they were in church and they were not asked to put out their wives because they were in church. But they are not allowed to have an ordination. They are not allowed to be leaders in the church because they came into the church with two wives. And that is exactly my thinking, my belief about it. A lot of church think differently and I thank God as this church started. We didn't have we didn't convert anybody that has two wives and they're coming to church and we're battling on what to do. Praise the Lord. Uh, maybe I would have had a lot of criticism, but um, I know the way I've taken myself. The, the, the chance is that as long as you are now born again, whatsoever thing that has happened has remained happened. And those people, the women, also need salvation. They need God. They need the love of God. They need to be nurtured so that they can run their race up to eternity. There are other talks about it. Okay, if you allow them to stay in the same house. Or, okay, you can marry to them, but should they stay in the same house? I don't know. You can be married to them, but will you sleep with them? I don't know. I don't care to know about those, but I know that they can all be in church because they were in church then, and um, they will not, the husband will not be allowed to be a minister. But don't ask me those details because I cannot go to their houses and begin to legislate. Don't sleep with one. You have to sleep it. Or take it one year, one. The other way. I don't know nothing about that. And don't ask me about it because I can't answer you. You know, most of all these things we are answerable to God. The pastor can only take it to an extent. Otherwise, you begin to play God. And when you say something that God does not ask you to say, you are also going to answer to God at the end. How do you get your conviction? So that is my submission to that. But do you have any question to that? We can still take it. I mean, you have something you need to say. Okay, Brother Charles. I would just ask, in this case, yes, where sir. a believer comes into the church, yes. or has been a believer in church, I've yes. seen it where it happened. Yes. Uh, let me give an instance. He was struggling to have a male child. You know, some person is playing certain things. Yes. And eventually, with all the counsel, yes. he still went. Yes. In fact, he did it outside first. Yes. After pregnancy, the woman. Then, you know, now he now has two wives. Now, after pregnancy, we now went to do the, the normal thing and so brought the man to the house. In this case, we now have two wives. What should the church do? The Bible made us to, be, to understand that we should be a man with one. So, that is what the scripture says. First and foremost, what will God do? It's between them and God. That man has sinned. That man has gone in to get another wife in another wife. The only condition for a man to marry another wife is when the wife is dead. That's why some people kill their wives, one way or the other. <laughs> or when there is a case of proving adultery. 
Alright? And that is what Jesus said. In that case, then of course you are already divorced because there's a case of proving adultery and the man can go and marry another wife. That, again, we have scriptural understanding regarding that and it's a bit deep. Okay? Now, but if that is not the case, we are looking for a child and you now decide to go and marry another wife and now have two wives, then you are not a Christian. You are not practicing Christian doctrine. Okay, so you have erred, eh? <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so you have erred. You have become, you have, you have put yourself as an unbeliever. Okay, so um, now you ask the question, what would the church do? That's a very tough question for me, but I believe that the church should not condo that. It's just like a, a very precious brother and a sister, and we are all in fellowship together, and all of a sudden, my dear brother said, hey, Pastor, I'm sorry to say I pregnanted the girl. Really? And what? I want to marry the girl. No, you can't be in this church. No, you can't be in this church. Because, I mean, if you are going through issues, you should take counsel from me. You didn't take counsel from me. I would have told you what to do. There is adoption. There is uh, all manners of things that scientifically you can do to have a child if you may. Or uh, must you have a child for goodness sake to make it in eternity. But then, if you now come and you have done what you need to do and now said, Pastor, you know, I'm a worker in this church. I'm bringing my second wife. In fact, we need to do blessing. <laughs> I will say, sir, I don't know how to handle it, but maybe you need to excuse us for a while. And that is my position regarding that. I don't know what I answered your question. Sister Mary has a question along that. Praise the Lord. Um, my question is, in this um, case of the man going to marry a second wife because he needs a child, what if it's the first wife that insisted that he marries a second wife because she feels she cannot conceive? All right, thank you very much. Let me ask a question. You marry a lovely wife and the wife loves you so much. And the wife said to you, darling, I love you so much and I want you for my sake. Take this bottle of poison. What will you say to that, to that wife? You will say, God is behind me. How can your wife encourage you to, to go and sin and bring another wife? You will say to the woman, I love you so much. Child is not supposed to come in between us. As far as I'm concerned, nobody should lure you to go and sin. As a matter of fact, if your wife can make you to do that, that means your mother can ask you to do that. Mothers have all, already, always told their children, and I know somebody who is a pastor, and the mother is saying to him, you are here deceiving yourself. Pastors like you have children, and they will grow them up, and they're in London. They have, we know them. Go and have another girl pregnant her, and she'll be having children for you in London. They, you'll be doing your church here. Nobody's, um, nobody's molesting you, at least so that you can have it. So if you can do that, then you can equally, you know, accept that of your wife. But the truth is that somebody should not ask you to do what is unrighteous, and you get to do that thing that, because somebody has said it. Children is not everything. Somebody asked a question which we might not do with today. Somebody said, why did God say that children are gift from God? We can't deal with it right now. Pastor Helen has something to say. 
Praise the Lord. Pastor, I think I want to add to this. What she asked, actually, it do happen. Where women will now, maybe a woman will now tell the husband, if I cannot do this. Just like Abraham and Sarah. Yes, that's what I'm trying to point out. Because uh, Sarah have found out that the promise, like it's not coming to pass in her life. And she said, look, Abraham. Hagar is here. And Abraham listening. And that is the problem we are having today. So what I'm trying to say is that what she asked is right. And you are standing in the place that the man should say no. Yes. So we the believers, we should say no to things we know that are not right. Most of the time, flesh can make us to do something wrong. And one thing I will add again is that if you desire to have a baby, you will have baby. But the thing is that your own time might not be God's time. Just focus on God, wait on God. But don't use your hand to tell your husband to have child outside. Because you might do it if the, if the man goes out to pregnant another woman. It might be before you know it, you get pregnant. And the man now will be the one in trouble. Because by the grace of God, you focus on your own child God have given to you. So I will say to you that having children in different places is not good. It scatters home. Even you, the man, you don't live long because that thing will always harm you to the end. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, Pastor Lighter, and we close. Eh? No, we still have a lot, but it's after 12. Can we continue? You don't want to go home? <laughs> we need to go home. <laughs> All right, praise, Pastor Lighter. Yes. Praise the Lord. I have a situation here. A friend of mine happened to be a second wife. And the moment she gave her life to Christ, she discovered that she got married out of sin. So what she did was to walk out of that marriage. And she never went to any other home. She just decided to stay alone. She said she is married to Christ. And her two kids that she had are okay for her. And today, she's doing very well. And she was ordained a deacon, a deaconess in the ministry. Because she said she's not going to be with any other man. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, that's her personal decision. She decided, I don't want to do anymore. I, I don't want to be um, a, a wife that was gotten out of sin. And so I want to run my race in righteousness. That's her decision. It's just like you took a decision. And I think that is noble enough if she wants to do that. But again, the husband must also understand that, look, this is the decision of the wife. I don't have a challenge with that because that's her decision. And I don't also have a challenge in her working for God because she wants to take the part of, um, of righteousness. Praise the Lord. Anyway, um, the time is up, but you say I should continue. Uh, tell me. Which one? 
<laughs> and that's pretty long. I, I did a little bit of an exposition. Okay, let me, let, okay, we'll, maybe we handle that and we close. The next one I have here is, um, should Christian be judgmental? If, for example, you're in office and somebody's wearing some kind of dress, will you address the person and begin to judge the person? The other one is, um, is, is pastor, a calling or a profession? The other one is, is it good to talk negatively about a pastor even when it's wrong? The other one is Christian receiving Muslim prayers. The other one is when God answers prayers of those who are not, do God answer prayers of those who are not Christian? Is that the one you're talking? Or is it Christian receiving Muslim prayer? Or that, okay, which, which God answer prayers of those who are not Christians? Okay, so we just deal with it a little bit. Oh my God, there's so much. There's food, food washing, there's restitution, and that, that, that. Okay, we just, we just close with this. Um, now, what I have here is simple. I saw it in two parts. Quit God answer prayers of those who are not Christians. God answer the prayers of Christians. And God can answer the prayer of non-Christian that pray to him genuinely with an innocent heart. When you did not know Jesus, and let me tell you, before I became born again, I was, I prayed my way into salvation as it were. Before I became born again, I was very religious and I, was, I wasn't an idol worshiper. I wasn't going to shrine. I wasn't going to... Um, I wasn't going to Babalawo, I wasn't, but I wasn't born again. All right? And I do what every unbeliever does. But I will always kneel down and I always pray to God. And I know God was always answering me. There was a day I was, I was to die. I, was, I had an accident. I was involved with a terrible accident. I was traveling from my station in Kogi State then. I was going to Abuja on an official assignment in a brand new 544 station wagon. I was being driven. And uh, of course, I was, um, I think I was in the front of the car or back. I can't remember now. I was pretty young then. I was barely like uh, 28 or so. And I was going for my official duty. And all of a sudden, my, my driver was descending the hill. And um, I don't know how he lost control. It was drizzling, and the car began to somersault. It began to turn back front, up, down. And I remember, I was always shouting, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. The last night, I was literally drunk. Are you, are you hearing me? Too much booze. But I wasn't driving, you know. I was saying, Jesus, save me. My senses recognized that it was only, I was calling as the vehicle turned, I would say, Jesus. There was no seatbelt thing. I wasn't with seatbelt. There was always seatbelt, but again, people don't use it. Till the vehicle just stopped in the middle of the road, and was this tanker that was also descending towards us that would have crushed us to pieces. And the car stopped with the four legs down, and I came out and I said, Ime, where are you? Ime happens to be my driver. Ime has some bruises and all that and he managed to come out. 
and I had no single bruise, no single touch, nothing at all. And the trailer people came and managed to stop and they came down and I said, they said, how did you people survive it? We saw the car somersaulting. So you people came out from this car? I knew for sure that Jesus saved me. Was I born again? No, I wasn't born again. Now listen, that God that you are hearing is the one that creates the sinner and the one that he has made righteous. He's the one that creates everybody. If you pray to, I have seen Muslims that went and said, God, if you are Jesus, if you are the, the right God, I want to serve you. Show me you are the right God. But if Muhammad is the right God, you, Jesus, as they have been preaching about you, show me. That is a prayer made as a Muslim, as a non-believer. But Jesus had her. And Jesus showed herself to her. And Jesus demonstrated the fact that, she, that he is the Lord over all gods. Now she is a pastor's wife and she's been a pastor's wife for many years. She did it in Abu Zaria. The husband was born again. She wasn't born again. She was a core Muslim. So who answered the prayer? Was she a Christian? No. That is on one part. God can answer the prayer of an unbeliever that he prayed sincerely and from his or her heart because God is the owner of the world. But then, there is also the issue of who answered the prayer of the unbeliever. There are people that actually worship demons or other small, small gods. And they consciously pray to these gods. These gods also answer their prayer, but bring sorrow to them. That is why before some people got born again, their only means of getting promotion or getting any blessing is for them to, you know this thing now, some of you have gone to shrines to do things and you have some level of result. Some demons can make some people to get married. Some demons can make some people to have children. Some people, some, some demons can make it is in existence and they demonstrate the power. So the demon spirit also answer them. But there are sorrows attached to that. So who answer prayers? God can answer prayer for an unbeliever if you pray sincerely from your heart. But in that case, you are not praying to the demons and you are praying to God. God will not be a part of it. And again, if you are a servant of the demon and you pray, you can have a kind of prayers answered, but there is a problem that is attached to it. It's only the blessing of God that makes rich and has no sorrow added to it. So I cannot tell you that demons does not answer the prayer of those that worship him so that by tomorrow you now see someone that said, I went to Shongo and I gave the sacrifice and I have this. I say, no, no, it's, it's God that answered you. It's not God that answered that particular one. She went to Shongo. Shongo answered him. But watch out for the blessing that the person is having. The person has gotten some comma in his or her life because what the devil gives, the devil takes away from another side. Praise the Lord. So, I believe that you can have God answer you even when you are non-believer if you pray by yourself. I don't know if somebody has anything to add to it. Pastor Helen, I think you are passionate about this. You want to say something?
that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. The scripture of John 3 16 that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son but the B part is where Christian lies that he that believeth in the son will not perish but have everlasting life so our call as Christians is for eternity not really earthly thing only we have to know that it's eternity and we have to have the mind that Shango worshiper, whatever religion, you are still under God. Because when rain is falling, it's going to fall for everyone. God is not going to, because he's merciful. We have to know it, that he's very merciful. And the mercy is for everyone. But for those of us that have not accepted Jesus, when we now come with mercy, grace come to us again. So where we are weak, his grace now began to help us to be strong. So what I will say, that everyone pray to God. But in the manner they are reaching God, is their own. But we have chosen this path. And the path we have chosen should be what our God also said. That if you choose my only begotten son, if that is the way you have taken you will make it in eternity. And every one of us should know that the end is really the matter. It's not the beginning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Then sing my soul, my Savior to thee. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information on the Lighter Church, visit tlc.net.ng or follow The Lighted Church on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.